This is the Podium Finish Live from Austin, Texas, and various points across the country. Here's your host, Rob Tiamson. And a good, good day to everyone out there listening to us. Welcome to episode 105 of TPF Live, the world's fastest hour of racing talk. I'm Rob Tiamson, joined alongside Brooklyn Jackson, and yes, Nathan Solomon. He's back, she's back, I'm here. It's going to be a great show. It's the post Daytona 500 pre-Atlanta edition of our podcast. Boy, do we have a lot to get to on this show because we have so much action to basically unravel from the world center of racing. And oh, by the way, we're going to another super speedway-like race in Hampton, Georgia. So if you didn't get any heartburn from Daytona, God rest your soul because you're probably going to get some this weekend with Saturday's doubleheader action, and also Sunday. And yes, Mother Nature is not going to interfere with things for a change. So make sure you set time aside to enjoy some racing on Saturday and Sunday. And if you're Josh Williams, don't park your car at the start-finish line. Anyways, I can't wait to get this show rolling because for our hot seat, we have someone who was hot under the collar, but was also hot on the track last week. If you were watching the World Series of Asphalt, at New Smyrna Speedway, that, of course, would be Jimmy Renfro Jr., who is a member of the Team Hornaday Development Camp and part of the Cars Tour Series as a very young but formidable race car driver. We're going to hear his really hot takes about what happened at the World Series of Asphalt and also get his side about his journey as well. So we have so much to get to. In fact, let's just go ahead and bring in Brooklyn and Nathan. So ladies first, Nathan, of course. So Brooklyn, how are you doing? How ready are you for Atlanta? I'm good. I am super ready for Atlanta. Um, I always look forward to the Atlanta races. Um, and especially, you know, it just feels like it got here that much faster with a little Daytona delay. So, yeah. Daytona delay. That's a good way to put it. And uh, when we did the action, it was really, really good which I can't wait to talk about with you and Nathan. And Nathan, I know you've been itching to talk about racing on TPF Live after I've lost track of how long it's been, (laughs) but how have you been doing? I know you've been busy with school. Yeah, I've been very busy. I've been traveling around, doing college basketball games, having schoolwork, stuff like that. So it really just has not worked out where I've been able to make it on here in the last several weeks. So definitely good to be back. Um, even though it might only be for a week for now, but um, hopefully uh, shortly or soon down the road, I can be back on here regularly. I mean, I do enjoy doing this. It just has not worked out with my broadcast schedules a lot of times. I know uh, you guys have been recording Wednesday nights most times, and that's usually when I have my, my TV game. So now that that's coming to an end, I should hopefully have more time to be back on, on TPF Live here in the new fu- near future. Looking forward to it. It's always good to have you on our show for sure. And good for you folks to be listening in to all 104 episodes in this 105th edition on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or whatever podcasting platform you're listening to. But right now, why don't we hear from our friends over at SpoilerDieCast.com, our presenting sponsor right now. Hey, racing fans, are you in the hunt for the latest and greatest in diecast cars? Head on over to SpoilerDieCast.com to get the latest offerings in Lionel Racing, NASCAR collectibles, IndyCar collectibles from Greenlight Collectibles, and much more. If you spend $20 or more in in in-stock or pre-order items, you can save 5% off your order and get free shipping with promo code TPF. So head on over to SpoilerDieCast.com. 
spend $20 or more and use promo code TPF to get free shipping and 5% off your order. Evan and his team get those orders out fast in lightning speed fashion. A proud sponsor of TPF Live. Yes, indeed, folks, take advantage of that promo code TPF and you can get 5% off your orders and free shipping on orders of $20 or more. That's awesome stuff because, hey, who wouldn't want to save money and get free shipping on those Lionel diecast cars or green light collectibles or whatever kind of diecast cars you like or racing apparel because we've got a lot of that going on at SpoilerDieCast.com. And I don't know if you've been watching on SpoilerDieCast.com's um, social media handles, but there's some exciting news about what's going to happen to them. I know they're everyone's favorite e-commerce site, but um, that's all I'm going to say about that matter. But next week, we'll, we'll get to get the goods to you guys about what's going on with them. So support our friends and you're supporting TPF along the way. But right now, let's get to our talk about Daytona and preview Atlanta by going over to Podium Perspectives, powered by SpoilerDieCast.com. Now, as far as Monday's 66 Daytona 500 was concerned, I know a lot of people are still buzzing about the finish. But let's not forget the fact that this was the fastest next-gen era Great American Race, which is something I don't think we really talked about a lot on social media. Not to mention, we had a lot of variety in terms of action and strategy. If you watch stage one, you know what I'm talking about, when Ryan Blaney was able to slow the field down by two seconds, starting on lap 27 or 28, and basically got them to make laps of 51 seconds, which I've never seen in a cup car at Daytona, but it worked out in terms of the pitch strategy. Although it didn't really work for Ford, it worked out for Chevrolet. But in the end, we got to see the Hendrick boys battle it out between William Byron and Alex Bowman. We were kind of robbed about what could have happened if we got to see a clean and green finish after Austin Sindrick and Ricky Stenhouse Jr. tangled just after the dog leg. And a lot of folks have opinions about, was the timing of the caution correct? Did we even need the caution? Were we trigger happy about it? So let's go first hear from Brooklyn about this, and then we'll hear from Nathan. What are y'all's thoughts about the finish at Daytona, William Byron's victory, and also the parody that we saw on Monday night? Um. So I, I liked the finish. Um. Uh, from a racing perspective, obviously you, it was exciting. It was a it was a very t- super speedway finish. Um, I do. The only thing is, I kind of do wish that we would have gotten to see a couple more laps play out, um, just to see what would have happened. And that's kind of I feel like way after races and with cautions i mean regardless of like the race who's ahead i just that's just i feel like kind of how uh races ending under caution make me feel so that's kind of the only like thought i had afterwards was like it would have been cool to see like what would have happened with a few more laps yeah i mean it it just kind of 
quick timing there. I mean, right when the, the, the white flag came out, it's kind of right when that wreck happened, so nothing you can really do. Uh, I mean, rules are the rules. Obviously, it's an anticlimactic finish. I think everybody would have liked to see them race back to the start-finish line, but obviously they, they made the right call there. I mean, they couldn't have just let... You know, a bunch of crumpled up race cars sit there right at, at the at the finish line as as the, the the cars race back. But I mean, I thought it was a pretty good race. I know that there's obvious issues with this super speedway package, like the saving of the fuel. I mean, at, at one point, I think they were stretching it out where it was about five extra seconds per lap. I mean, there is cars that were by themselves outside of the pack that were running quicker than the cars inside of the pack because they were at you know twenty five percent or thirty percent of throttle. So. There's some adjustments that they're going to need to make there. I think that there are um, temporary fixes or, um, I guess, little band-aids that you can put over to the bigger issues, such as, like, manipulating the stage lengths. I think that that could be on the table in terms of, like, okay, maybe the first stage is 45 laps. The second stage runs 90 laps long. That way you're, you know, it's like two, two pit cycles, teams are less likely to have to save fuel instead they can just kind of go all out for 45 laps pit and then go all out for 45 laps so i think a combination of adjusting the package and, and manipulating the stage lengths i think will probably be the right answer obviously congrats to william byron he deserved it kind of quietly in the mix all day obviously it was kind of a little bit of a part of that big wreck with about nine to go with him and, and bowman but uh obviously a, a deserving victory and a guy that's shown that he can get it done on super speedways before that's a good point you brought up, Nathan, because the thing I kind of didn't realize on Monday night is that William Byron won the most recent super speedway race at Talladega before we got to Daytona. So we're starting to see a little theme here with number 24 that he knows how to get the job done at these big tracks, uh, especially when it comes to late race maneuvers. And the one thing that caught my eye was the fact that William, the only time he was ever up front was from lap 197 to 200. Led only four laps, but they were the most important four laps he could have led in the Great American Race. But if you're Alex Foman, you kind of feel a little robbed because he had a surge of momentum on the other lane. And then I was thinking, man, this could have been a really interesting finish, especially the fact that the race took place on the 40th anniversary of Hendrick Motorsports, I believe, which uh, for Mercer Rage, it worked out no matter who was going to win um, instead of having two junked cars. But uh, I, I like the 500. It was really competitive. And maybe because I'm an older person, I'm glad we didn't get the overtime garbage that we had seen the last couple of years because I hate when that happens and you see a bunch of junked up race cars. So um, kudos to NASCAR. I know they'll work on trying to figure out the whole, do we really want to see drivers backing out at 25% throttle, like you said, Nathan? And uh, to your point, you talked about um, in our team chat, Fuel mileage is not going to go away from super speedway racing. That's just inevitable. But uh, to at least lengthen out the stages, like you said, I think could be a great idea. And what you mentioned there to Brooklyn, I, I love the fact that um, we saw some good racing overall. In fact, I'm looking at the stats right now from Sun, uh, Monday night's race um, that I think, again, we overlooked because the finish is what caught our eyes. Uh, we had... 41 lead changes among 20 drivers, and we only had five caution periods for 20 laps, which were Daytona standards. That's not bad. I think it was the 19th fastest Daytona 500 in history out of the 66 runnings of this race. So not bad when you consider the stage break yellows, the, the red flag we had after lap 192, and just all the different strategies. So uh, I hate that we had rain happen, and 
a, a colleague of mine brought this up that we didn't get to have individual days for each race, but I think it kind of worked out because if you watch the 500, chances are you were watching the Xfinity race afterwards on FS1, which we'll get to here in a moment. So um, we'll have some stories about Williams' Daytona victory because our very own Phil Cavalli will be at the Daytona 500 Champions Party on Monday when the teams get back from Atlanta. So should be fun to get more insights from the latest, greatest American race winner in William Byron and Rudy Fugel. Now, moving on to the truck series, which was the only race that actually happened on schedule for a change, which is kind of odd to say. On Friday night, we had the freshman Florida 250, and that was a really long truck race. If you did catch that race on FS1 with all the wrecks, the shenanigans and everything in between with having young drivers, the occasional part-time drivers and emerging from all of this was Nick Sanchez. Now, he was so close to winning several races last year, notably Atlanta, which is where we're going to this weekend. And I believe it was also in contention at the Intermediates and also at Talladega before a certain incident caused him to say some words that probably made his mother put soap in his mouth, like in Christmas Story. But we'll, we'll digress on that. But on Friday night, Nick Sanchez finally delivered that long-awaited Truck Series victory and Rev Racing's first professional victory in the top three series. The 2022 ARCA champion shared some thoughts about what it meant to win at Daytona, which he considers his second hometown track, considering that he's from Miami and homesteads his local track. So we'll hear a little bit actually right now from Nick about what it meant to win at Daytona for Rev Racing and also the road ahead for him. Nick, as a driver who's basically been with Rev Racing throughout your entire career, how special was it for you to deliver the team's first national win in the Truck Series' biggest race of the season, aside from the championship race in Phoenix? And also, too, as a young driver, I'm sure, who grew up watching races at Daytona and Homestead, what does it mean to you personally to accomplish a win at the World Center of Racing? Yeah, thanks for that. And, uh, you know, kind of reiterating what I said earlier, you know, it, it's really big uh, for myself and Max Siegel and all of our racing, uh, every employee there. So, uh, you know, this win, I feel like it was has been a long time coming, right? You know, I think me and Max, we've had success at every level we've competed at, you know, from Legend Cars, Late Models to ARCA to, to now the Truck Series. So to get this win uh, is big. And, you know, I think I think we could also do a lot more than than just this win. And that's the exciting part to me, right? You know, um, we still have 22 races left this year. And, you know, I think our goal right now is a championship, right? You know, we've done it before in 2022 in ARCA. So I don't see any reason why we can't do it now um, in the truck series uh, with me and Max and Rev Racing. And, yeah, definitely being from Florida, uh, you know, with Homestead technically being like my home track. I'd probably put Daytona as my second. You know, I, I definitely went to many races as a kid uh, watching Daytona. And, you know, it, it's it, it feels like home, right? Um, the water's nearby, you know, the palm trees, the, the ambiance, just the weather. Everything about it feels like Miami feels like home. So to get a win there is pretty big. And um, I guess you could say it's the second biggest race of the year behind Phoenix, the championship race. So pretty cool. Definitely a cool weekend for myself and Max Eagle. Now, we'll start off with Nathan, then from here from Brooklyn. The obvious question I have to ask, Nathan, is how huge was this victory for Nick and for Rev Racing, considering what these two have gone through, and also the Rev Racing organization 
their mission statement of trying to bring more diversity into NASCAR. Yeah, for sure. I mean, definitely a big win for, for Nick Sanchez. I mean, he's a guy who all of last year contended, ran up front, had opportunities to win races, but uh, certain circumstances just didn't fall in his, his direction, his way. I think, I mean, what was it, the Texas race last spring, he dominated that race, ended up getting wrecked on the last lap by Carson Hosevar, but definitely very deserving for him. I think it's important that he got it done like first race of the year, so he's already in the playoffs. He can kind of really stop thinking about that and just go back to work and think about putting together a string of good finishes. And if you do that, then the wins are going to come by itself. So obviously we knew he was really, really talented. Uh, definitely a very, very deserving victory. And I'm sure this will not be his only victory this year because he's in some, some really good stuff. And I think he's got uh, a ton of talent. But yeah, really cool for Rev Racing. You know, last year they... They they stepped up into the um, into the NASCAR Crafts and Truck Series levels. Obviously, they've been in, in ARCA for quite some time, and they you know they they ran KBM stuff last year, and, and they were really competitive in it. Now, obviously, KBM no longer exists, and it's essentially Spire that they're running through running through. But re obviously, no no change in uh, in in the product for uh, Nick Sanchez and, and and the stuff that they have. So so definitely good for him, and I'm sure we can expect more victories down the road. I um I I agree. I think we if you've followed last year, you I mean, it's been coming. We knew he had a lot of talent. We knew he had um I mean, good speed, good trucks. Um but I think it's cool that it was able to happen for him at um at a Florida track at like you said his second um second hometown track. Um and for Rev Racing, I think that just shows that they're putting in the work and they're where they need to be. I think the thing that was so significant for Nick was just the fact that he was able to show that, yes, he can win a race. And he pointed it out in Thursday's press conference on Zoom that now that he's won this race, he can be as aggressive as he wants until they get to the playoffs, which that's kind of a nice luxury to have as a young driver with Rev Racing now partnered up with Spire Motorsports, which they are proven winners now. Kyle Arson won in the truck last year for them, and now Nick's won in the race at Daytona. So he considers it the second most important victory he'll ever have, because if he makes it to Phoenix and wins at Phoenix, you know what happens afterwards in November if he gets that done. So he's, he's very focused about it. He's really pleased. I know Max Siegel and Brendan Thompson in the press conference too, they were just, they were glowing about the whole situation and rightfully so because um, for Rev Racing, who I traditionally think of as being an ARCA team or back in the day, the KNN East and West kind of a team, for them to get this big splash in NASCAR, it will definitely inspire their their uh, their diversity group once they get the call up, like LeVar Scott or Andres Perez de Lara, um, that if they can get to that car or truck, maybe they can win at Daytona too. So it's a huge testament to what NASCAR has done over the last 20, 20 years, really, with this diversity program. So great to see. I know it's going to be huge for the Sunshine State for a local boy to win there. And uh, I know he was talking about like the, the landscape and all that. And when he was talking about that, you can just tell how much this win meant to him. So we'll see what happens starting this weekend because he, he almost won Atlanta. So maybe he makes it two in a row in truck number two. We'll find out. 
But right now, let's go move on to another driver who I would say is king of the hill at Daytona. And I'm talking about Austin Hill because he's trying to make a best case to be Dale Earnhardt Sr. in the Xfinity Series opener, the United Rental 300. Now, this race was supposed to have been run on Saturday after Saturday night. But of course, Mother Nature intervened and we had this race get pushed to Monday morning. Oh, no, wait. I meant Monday night at 9 p.m. That's right. We got two rescheduling which made things a little hairy for us on the podium finish side and kudos to nathan for getting that recap done at such a late time i never want to go through that again unless we're you know all good but anyways that was a hell of a race for the xfinity series opener i mean we had a lot of big ones and uh, austin hill was among one of them in the big one his car was so beat up that i actually thought hey his chances to win three in a row are over nope he was able to come back and he won the race with a car that looked like he raced at Martinsville. I don't know how, but uh, it just seems like the number 21 team just comes through every single time. I am getting shades of Dale Earnhardt Sr. when he used to win this race from 1990 to 1994. I almost think if he gets that fifth in a row, he may just say, you know what, I'm done. I don't need to race this event anymore. and go. I can go to Cup, but uh, we'll start with... Uh, Brooklyn, and then hear from Nathan. Is this a sign of another good year for this Georgia driver just because of the fact that he's done this before in 2022 and last year? I think, I think it is. I think, um, I mean, part of it's just momentum, right? I mean, just starting off on a good foot, you just get some good vibes in there. Um, like we can do this. We have a win. Like we were just talking about with Nick Sanchez, we have a win. We're not having to worry about getting the win, um, in our books. So we're able to kind of just focus on what we want, what we want to do. Um, I mean, and maybe what we, wouldn't be focusing on if we were just focusing on like, okay, we have to get the win. Like what's the, what's the only way we're going to get a win? Yeah. I mean, Austin Hill is, uh, it's incredible the way that he's been able to, to win some of these races on super speedways, especially at Daytona. I mean, three years in a row is unbelievable. And I mean, he's only been in the Xfinity series for three years. So it's been each of his full-time seasons. And I think it has an advantage to it because kind of like what I said about Nick Sanchez, they can just focus in on, on racing and not have to really worry about points or trying to make the playoffs. He's already locked in. So he's only ever had to worry about making the playoffs for three races in his three year Xfinity series career. So that's pretty impressive. Uh, now he can just go to work again. I mean, I think I'd certainly say that for, for Hill standards, uh, fallen short of expectations the last couple of years, you know, obviously did not make the championship for last year with, with the whole Sheldon Creed thing at Martinsville. He'd certainly like to get back there. A win certainly helps with that. I think if you're Austin Hill, you really also want to continue to stack those wins, get those playoff points, because it could be those playoff points that come Martinsville, you know, in October or November or whenever it is this year, is what could carry him into the championship four. So great start for Austin Hill. He's unbelievable at these super speedway races. Uh, like I said, you just got to stack the playoff points from here on out. And he may just do that because we're heading to Atlanta, which is not just another super speedway type of race. He just happens to be the defending race winner for the Raptor King of Tough 250 on Saturday night. So if you like uh, to see Austin Hill win this event, you're in luck because he's probably going to do it again on Saturday night. And the irony of the whole thing with, with Daytona is 
Sheldon Creed finished in second, but at least this time around, it was a little bit less crazy than what happened at Martinsville. So maybe they just had to have separate rooms, if you will, and not share the same um, same ride, if you will, to get to, to the championship for at Phoenix. Um, and it's going to be an interesting season because him and crew chief uh, Andy Street, just they, they just mesh so well. And let's be honest, I think Austin Hill should have been in the championship four, but unfortunately, like you pointed out, Nathan, that little squabble at Martinsville is what cost them. And we got, they, they were able to race for the championship. So uh, hopefully when they get to Martinsville on November 2nd for the Den on Tools 250, maybe he'll get to redeem himself in 2024. Now, the one thing I do want to talk about before we get to winning time, because we never got a chance to ask you this, Nathan, we've heard from Brooklyn, we've heard from me, even Caitlin Vincy. Why don't you give me your two early to season championship picks for the NASCAR Cup Series, Xfinity Series, and Truck Series? Boy, you're catching me on the spot here. <laughs> um, truck Series, I'm going to go Christian Eckes. Why not? You know, he had a really good year with BMR. I think he won, what, three or four races last year. What He missed the championship four, then goes out and wins Phoenix. So he had speed everywhere. Uh, I think he's one of the most underrated drivers in all of NASCAR, so I'll go with him. And I believe he's a defending winner from Atlanta last year, too. So we'll see if he can can make that back-to-back. Xfinity Series. This one's a tough one. I'm going to go Justin Allgaier. Finally, Allgaier can go out and get his championship. I know how how much that would mean for, for Dale Jr. and for Junior Motorsports that they could finally make that happen since he is there in the championship for like every single year. And I know he's, he's pretty good at Phoenix, too. There's always just some wacky circumstance as to why he doesn't win it. And then Cup Series. Oh, man. We'll go with Martin Truex Jr. riding off into the sunset with a championship. I love it. You definitely thought outside the book with a lot of them. I was a little scared when you said Christian Eckes because that's the same thing I said that Brooklyn said and Caitlin said. So I was starting to think you're going to say eh. Really? I, I didn't know that. Yeah, because um, we all said Sheldon Creed for Xfinity. And then for Cup, we all said William Byron. So I was like, uh-oh, are you going to go that direction too? <laughs> no, I'm glad I could switch it up a little bit with the last two. But I didn't know I didn't know Eckes was such a popular pick. Yeah, well... I think Eckes is certainly the guy to beat. He had the four victories last year, and honestly, it was just one unlucky situation at Homestead that cost him that chance to be in the championship for at Phoenix. So um, I think it's not unreasonable to expect truck number 19 to be in the championship for later this year. Oh, why don't we actually make more picks right now? Because, ladies and gentlemen, we're in winning time. So, of course, this is when I get to make picks with Brooklyn and Nathan, for each of these NASCAR races. So we'll start off in sequential order with the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series FR8208 or Freight 208, however you pronounce that. I don't know, but we like them. The defending race winner is Christian Eckes. And then, of course, after that will be the NASCAR Xfinity Series Raptor King of Tough 250. And as I had mentioned, Austin Hill is the defending race winner. Could have been Parker Kligerman, but we all know he went sideways for the finish. So maybe we'll see some craziness again. And then for the Cup Series and Better Health 400, Joey Logano, surprisingly, that was his only victory of last season. He's our defending race winner for that on Sunday afternoon. But also don't forget that on in the summertime, William Byron won the race, albeit it was short, uh, shortened by rain. So, ladies first again, then us gentlemen. So, Brooklyn, you go ahead and you set us gentlemen straight as to who you think will win this weekend. Hmm. 
<laughs> now I'm on the spot. Oh. Yeah. Um, okay. I'm going to do my best to think outside the box. All right. For trucks. I think Nick Sanchez is going to go back to back. I think, I think they just have momentum. I think Atlanta's super speedway. Yeah. Nick Sanchez for trucks. Xfinity. Hmm. I'm going to go with, let's go with, let's go with Sam Mayer. And then for Cup, I'll go with, um, preliminary, uh, Oh gosh, Cup is the hardest on like all of my picks. I'm gonna go with Denny Hamlin. That's fair. That's fair. How about you, Nathan? I'm sure you've been thinking about this one too. So on the truck series side, I will go with Kyle Bush making his first start of the season over with Spire Motorsports. I know he's gonna do five races. I think most of them are gonna be front loaded, so we'll see him a lot early on. On the Xfinity Series side of things, I'm going to go Josh Williams, going from parking on the front stretch to parking in victory lane, his second race with Colleague Racing. He's obviously going to be in really good stuff, had some bad luck at Daytona, got caught up in an early mess, uh, but Josh Williams into victory lane for his first Xfinity Series victory. And then on Sunday, over in the Cup Series, and yes, to Brooklyn's point, this is the most difficult pick because... There's, what, there's 37 cars in the field this week. I think old BJ McLeod's in there again. But, I mean, there's like 30, 31 cars that I think really could win. I'll go with Chase Elliott. You know, his back at home obviously has not had a, did not have a great year last year. I think he'll kind of, um, you know, throw the monkey off his back early on and, and knock off a victory at Atlanta and lock into the playoffs. Well, wouldn't that be such a popular victory in front of all the fans in Georgia and all the Dawsonville pool hall gang ringing the siren if that were to happen on Sunday evening? So anything's possible, and uh, maybe everybody's going to have some Hooters wings afterwards. They are really good, after all. Now, I'm, I love the picks that you guys went with, but I'm going to try to think outside the box for the, these ones. Now, you took my pick for the truck series because... Let's not forget that the ace in the hole, Kyle Busch, is racing on Saturday afternoon. And this actually is his first super speedway type of race in a non-cup car for the first time since that accident at Daytona in 2015. But uh, I think he'll be just fine. And he definitely is someone to consider for the victory. Now, for me, honestly, I think Roger Carruth could do something on Saturday afternoon. Um, The advice... Well, brotherly advice he probably got from Bubba Wallace may be resonating with him to race a little bit smarter, a little bit cleaner, because, yes, he did have a hand in that backstretch correct in the last lap of the Fresh from Florida 250. I say for the Freight 208, he learns from those mistakes and gets another victory for Spire Motorsports to make it two for two for the start of the year. For the Xfinity Series, this one's honestly the toughest one for me to pick because you can make an argument for almost anybody. I like the fact that you went with Josh Williams to kind of go from zero to hero or really hero to hero again because he did become a hero from doing what he did. 
I think Parker Kligerman could get the job done and redeem himself from that crazy last lap spin he did um, in last March's race. So he might as well plant the flag at uh, Hampton, Georgia and get it done. Now for the cup race, I'm not just picking him because he's the most recent winner. This is my gut pick. I'm going to go with William Byron to go two for two and make it uh, another victory for the number 24 team. He was really good in last summer's race. Even if the rain hadn't happened, I think I would have gone with him to get the job done. And I'm not making another pick. I'm not Mike Joy, but I also think you have to consider um, you have to consider Daniel Hemrick. Maybe he could get something done there because he looked really good during the Daytona 500 before he had his own issues late in the race. But time will tell if any of us get it right. And what do you think, folks? I want to hear from you and hit us up on our social medias at The Podium Finish. And that applies for X, Instagram, Facebook, everything. So let us know. And if you make the winning picks, We'll personally get you a diecast car from spoilerdiecast.com. 164 scale, and we'll make sure it gets sent to you as soon as possible, unless you want to pre-order and you're going to just be a little patient about it. So that is putting perspectives for this week, powered by spoilerdiecast.com. We can't wait to get back to this next week for the post-Atlanta pre-Las Vegas edition, which Nathan, being from Las Vegas, knows that things in Vegas actually don't stay in Vegas. So... It's just the fact of life, I suppose. No, no, they do. They do. They do? Okay. <laughs> well, we'll find out just how much actually leaks out for the city of Sin or Sin City, will, if you will. But that's for next week's episode. Right now, let's all sit back and relax and listen to Jimmy Renfro Jr. for this week's edition of In the Hot Seat. Welcome back, everyone, to another edition of In the Hot Seat here on the Pony Finish and the Pony Finish Live. I'm Rob Tiongson, and on this edition of In the Hot Seat, we have a very sensational young driver, originally from New Hampshire, now racing in the Cars Tour Series, and he made some noise in the World Series of Asphalt in the late model scene earlier this month in February. When we get to hearing this interview, it'll be about late February, so... Just letting you know that this is a really relevant, really great young driver named Jimmy Renfro Jr. And one New Englander to another New Englander, let me just say, it's great to finally have somebody from my home turf around here for a change. So, Jimmy, welcome to the hot seat. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm glad to have you. I'm doing well. And uh, I know a lot of fans who are going to be tuning in and reading your article on, on The Podium Finish are going to be excited to your story and about what happened in East Smyrna but of course we've got a lot of fans who are NASCAR fans who may not know who you are or heard about your journey so we're going to introduce you to them and just getting off the bat right here you know as somebody who has been around racing all your life of course your father was a race car driver himself you know I'm just curious what inspired you to go take up racing and be this competitive driver that you've been for these last decade or so of racing yeah, I mean, my dad always raced when I was a kid, and, you know, ever since I was, you know, one or two years old, or even probably younger than that, honestly, I've been going to the racetrack kind of, you know, with my parents, with my dad when he was racing, and 
just kind of grew up at the racetrack and always wanted to race myself. So, um, you know, once I got the opportunity to do that, there was, you know, def- definitely nothing that was going to hold me back from, you know, wanting to do that or, you know, trying to do that. And just one thing led to another and now we're here. And do you, what's your earliest memories of racing when you were a little boy? Were you kind of, you know, your dad's little helper helping you with the cars or were you put in the driver's seat and you're thinking, you know, Jimmy, one day I'm going to be racing just like my dad is doing. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, ever, you know, right when I was little and was old enough to, you know, walk around and understand where I was, I was, you know, always with the guys and trying to help them work on the car and, you know, spent the nights at the shop with my dad and his crew guys and just, you know, always wanted to be around it as much as I could really. And, you know, then once I got, you know, I raced go-karts and stuff like that when I was like five. Uh, and then once I was 10 is when I, you know, made my first start in full-size cars and like in a four-cylinder division uh, up at the Hudson Speedway. So, that's kind of where I started, but, you know, like I said, as you know, early as I could get to the track and walk around and run around with those guys, I was, you know, there wanting to do it. So. That's a really awesome formal education that you could have gotten at a young age because most kids are, you know, in like bandos or legends cars. And here you were, you didn't have to go far. I mean, you were at your dad's shop. And as I understand it, I know your family owns like an auto, like an auto parts store. So not only that, you have that going on for you. So is it kind of a safe presumption for me to say that you guys just love cars no matter what? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, yeah, we own, we own a race parts store now. So up in New Hampshire, we're selling, you know, pretty much anything and everything for, you know, race car related parts and um, just trying to race as much as we can and try to have some fun and have some success while we're doing it. And we'll definitely let folks know where to go get those parts so that they can, you guys can hook them up with the goods because uh, it's not just any parts. I'm sure these are winning parts just as you're getting to enjoy on the track. So let me know Absolutely. a little bit later on about that because that will be cool for sure. And hey, from New Englander to New Englander, I got to say, we know what it's like to be tough. We know how to talk tough, but we also know how to be tough. So let me ask you this. How does racing up in the Northeast differ from racing in the Southeast or anywhere across the country in terms of the late model scene is being from New England. Does it give you an edge per se? Uh, I mean, not necessarily. I mean, no matter whether you go to New England or go to Florida or the North Carolinas, I mean, there's talented drivers no matter where you go. I mean, you know, some guys think that, you know, guys that race down South are just automatically better than, you know, the guys that race up in New England, but, I mean, we've seen guys like Mike Hopkins and Brian Kruzak and those kind of guys come down and run the Cars Tour, and they've had success. They've won races and got podiums and stuff like that. So, I mean, and then there's been guys from, you know, North Carolina, South Carolina, Florida area that have gone to New England and won races too. So, I mean, either way, if you're a good race car driver and you had, you know, you have a good car and a good team, no matter where you go, whether it's, you know, from Canada to Florida, if you, you know, have a good team, you're going to win races. So I don't think there's necessarily any sort of, you know, edge per se uh, to be in, you know, from down south or from up north or either one like that. I think both places have successful drivers. So um, I think it's pretty neutral. That's fair. I'm glad that you kind of um... – dispel that stereotype that we New Englanders can be like, oh, we're tougher than everyone else. So <laughs> it goes to show everyone has their own little 
uh, knives to sharpen, if you will, in, in this case. Although I will say the one thing that we have over anywhere else in the country before we get back to the interview, we've got good Chinese food in New England, don't we? Yep, that's for sure. I'm just saying. I, I moved to te- I moved to this, uh, the Texas area, and I, I am still searching. So I'm, I miss New England, New England in that sense for sure. But let's get back to talking about race cars, of course. And uh, I got to say, I'm sure you were stoked to join the Team Hornaday Development Camp, of course, with Ron and, and Candace Hornaday. So let me ask you, what's some of the best advice that you've received so far from Ron and Candace about, you know, racing professionally and just getting some advice from Ron about those restarts? Yeah, I mean, they've they've been great the whole way. They've, uh, you know, they've helped me, you know, kind of get down here and, you know, meet the right people and kind of go through the motions of getting everything that I needed and made that process a lot easier, you know, coming down here because I didn't know you know, really hardly anybody in this area. Um, and, you know, just anything from getting safety equipment to, you know, being able to just talk to Ron about racing and stuff like that. They've been, they've been great for everything and helpful along the way. And they've really set me up with the right people to, you know, get what I need to hopefully come down here and be successful. Um, and, you know, I can't thank them enough for everything that they've done. And isn't it neat to know, Jimmy, that you're part of this legacy that of the what Ron's been able to do in racing, even if it's not NASCAR, to know the people that he's mentored along the way. And now you're one of the newest people that he's getting to guide along in racing. Does it kind of humble you to go, man, this is the same guy who had, excuse me, had Jimmy Johnson sleeping on his couch before and Kevin Harvick. And now he's talking to me. Yeah, exactly. I mean, obviously there's, you know, there's stories out there and you know, the proof is there of all the drivers that he he's worked with and kind of helped out. And, you know, they've had the results and, um, you know, they have the stats to prove it. So he's definitely a great guy. And he, uh, you know, he's had plenty of success for himself. So he knows what he's talking about. And, you know, he's been a real help to, you know, me trying to get down here and kind of, you know, get rolling with my racing and the self. I love to hear it. And I love seeing Ron still very active in the racing scene, even after all these years that he was racing and, and making a name for himself in the West Coast in the truck series, to say the least. So he's got a good eye for talent. And I can tell you, you're a great talent for sure. And another person I think that's helped you along the way has been Donnie Wilson. I, I'm just curious, how did the deal with Donnie Wilson racing come about for you? And how much of a breakthrough moment was it for you to be racing for that team? Yeah, so they had a car uh, for sale, one of their cars, and, you know, me and my family ended up buying it for them and or from them, and they've, you know, been great as far as helping us. We still have the support from them, and, you know, kind of I'm working closely with those guys, and they've been helping me out a lot and, you know, trying to build a notebook with those guys and hopefully, you know, have some success, and they've been great to me, and I wouldn't be here, you know, without them for sure. I definitely wouldn't be racing down here full time without them. And, um, again, can't thank them. There's, there's a lot of guys in this whole deal that kind of put this together for me to be able to come down here and, you know, do what I'm going to do this season. And, um, you know, hopefully someday I can repay all them for, you know, everything that they've done for me and just going to try to go out there and win as many races as I can and prove that, you know, they have the best stuff and, See how it goes. I think you're doing a great job repaying them already with what you've been able to do over the past decade, what you're proving on the track and what you've done during the World Series of Asphalt in New Smyrna, because 
I got to watch a bit of that on Fleur Racing, and I was like, this kid is such a natural talent, so good against the nation's best late model racers. And even before what happened, which we'll talk about here in a moment, I mean, I watched the first race and I was like, this kid's for real. This is amazing. I mean, does it kind of, does you sometimes have to pinch yourself, Jimmy, and go, my goodness, I was once this little kid in my dad's shop. And now here I am racing in the World Series of Asphalt, just minutes away from Daytona International Speedway. And I am showcasing to people what I can do in a race car. Yeah, it's awesome. It's definitely, um, you know, it's cool to look back on, you know, where I started and, you know, kind of from racing go-karts. And like I said, you know, racing that kid's class at, you know, Hudson Speedway and just around, you know, kind of around my home to, you know, being able to travel, you know, up and down the East Coast. We went to Canada this year. We won in Canada. Now we've been to Florida at the beginning of this year. And, you know, we've won in Florida, won at New Smyrna, uh, you know, the World Series of Asphalt, which is something that I think is a, you know, pretty honorable thing. There's been a lot of people, you know, go through there and, you know, w win races there and run speed weeks. And like you said, it's, you know, the week before the Daytona 500 and, everybody's in that area it's just minutes away from the big track and um it's definitely cool to look back and see kind of where i started and where i am today and just hoping that uh you know we can keep improving and keep climbing up the ladder i think a lot of people got to know the name jimmy renfro jr just from this past week alone from the world series of asphalt for the good reasons and then of course we've got to get to the the elephant in the room of course about what happened to you with the engine disqualification on one evening. And then the engine, as I understood, was reinspected re and you guys passed. Walk me through what exactly happened here. Tell me your side of the story. And where do things stand for you about this? Like in terms of an adversity standpoint and just trying to clear your name and saying, look, I'm genuine. I'm not what you think I am. Yeah, I mean, you know how, you know, social media brings a lot of different opinions on, you know, the matter and, stuff like that. But bottom line on top is, um, you know, these pro late models, there's a seal Alliance program, um, that we buy the motors from, and we bought a motor from a approved seal Alliance, um, you know, engine builder. Um, and when they checked my motor for compression, the second night at new Smyrna that I won, it, uh, came up a little bit high on compression um so they decided to dq us the cra officials which they had every right to at that time um then the next morning they checked it again and it did pass that time uh came up legal and i mean it is what it is there's just kind of a lot of controversy on there for you know everybody involved and kind of saying it was illegal and then it passed so is it really illegal and you know how can you know, they DQ somebody for, with a, you know, seal Alliance motor that was approved and sealed by somebody in their seal Alliance. And, you know, just kind of depending on who you are, it kind of, you know, you pointed the blame, you know, to either the CRA officials or the engine builder or me, depending on, um, you know, how you felt about the situation. But, you know, realistically, it's not anybody's fault. Um, it's just something that got looked over. It, you know, the motor passes when it's cold. It just doesn't pass when it's hot. So the motor's out of the car now. It's at Upchurch Performance getting fixed, um, you know, to ensure that we're not putting that spot again. And, you know, because ultimately, you know, that ended up basically ruining our, you know, Speed Week's championship hopes. You know, that after that win that night, that would have put us in the lead for the points. So, 
Um, you know, that kind of went downhill, but either way, we ran we ran six races total down there. We got, you know, two wins, one officially with the DQ, uh, two seconds and two thirds. So to go down there and run, you know, the Pro Late Mall class, which I think is one of the most competitive classes down there, um, you know, they get 30 plus cars. I mean, total for the week, there was like 43 entries. Um, you know, and every night there was, you know, 30 cars or so. And to go down there and win, you know, be able to win two races, you know, which some people will say that it wasn't legit because of the motor. But, you know, I can promise you that that little bit of compression that it was over didn't make it a winning car. So, um, you know, my guys, you know, they had it right down there. And to be able to run that many races and not finish off the podium, I think is pretty good. And, uh, you know, I'm hoping to have some of that same speed uh, once we get to the car store. I say, I don't think people understand that sometimes the driver that you, you guys are not the ones who are like, <clears throat> excuse me, going, I'm, I want to do this to the engine. As far as I know, your focus is on winning and getting great finishes, which is what you did. And I know for someone like you, I would imagine you're someone who has a chip on your shoulders when things like that happen. So how much of having that kind of mentality drives your success, not only with what happened in New Smyrna, but now for the rest of the year, when you go to the Cars Tour Series? Yeah, I mean, you know, for the final night, the hundred lapper, we put in a different engine. Um, you know, that had was had passed there that week before out of a different car. And uh, you know, we still went out and ran second. So, I mean, we missed it a little bit in the hundred lapper, just kind of got a little too free, but I think it, we still proved our point that, you know, the reason why we were running in the top three was not because of that motor. We, you know, we we ran a complete different engine and still ran in the top three. So just kind of, that was the only really reason why we raced that final night and, you know, went through the hassle of changing motors at the track and stuff like that. It's just to kind of prove our point that that wasn't the reason, you know, that we had all those good finishes and that we, you know, still had a really good car and um, just kind of basically tried to prove ourselves that, you know, we didn't go down there to cheat and get DQ and didn't go down there to try to cheat to win races and, just kind of try to prove that we were legit. And I think you guys proved the point right there. Even if you weren't able to get the winning trophy for that night to get a second, that was a big statement. And now you're going to have the chance to go and race in the cars tour series, which as you know, you're going to be racing in some tough tracks in the Southeast. I, I don't mean to ask a really easy question after asking you a tough question, but what are the, which one of the tracks in the cars tour series are you most excited to go to this year? I'd probably have to say North Wilkesboro um, just because of the history there. And, you know, they went and they repaved it this year. So it's all brand new pavement. And, um, you know, just the stories from that place from back in the day of how good the racing was there. And just I, I think that the Cars Tour and everybody involved with that's doing a really good job of, you know, bringing it bringing it back and you know like they still have the lift and the infield to go to victory lane where they lift the cars up on them and just stuff like that from back in the day that they're kind of reviving and you know still adding into racing there i think is pretty historic and i think it's gonna be really cool to get to go there and race for myself i can't wait for you to have that opportunity and even if you were even if you're a child of the 2000s it seems like you have an old school soul and heart in your spirit, Jimmy, is it fair to say that even though you're only what 20 years old, do you kind of feel like sometimes you identify as more of a person who's not just only mature, but kind of a, an old person at heart, not in the bad way, of course. 
Yeah, I mean, obviously I'm only 20, but, you know, I, I think that the racing was something really special back in the day, you know, before I was born. And, um, you know, sometimes I wish I could have been a part of that. And I think that was some of the best racing. So, um, I, I mean, I think the racing now is still great. Uh, I just think that, you know, back in the day when, you know, all those, all those guys were, those were real racers. And I think that, uh, you know, I just have, you know, appreciation for, you know, the racing back before I was born. I love that. And I love that you have such a respect for the racing before you were even around, like racing from the eighties and nineties. And I think that's the one thing about late model racing that fans can attest to as to why they love watching an unflow or whatever network it's going to be on is because it does have that old school spirit that we're all looking for in a way. So I love that you, you had that, that sentimentality towards uh, the racing back then. Now I'm going to put you through a bit of a, uh, a free association around here, Jimmy, something new that I'm trying this year with drivers. So tell me the first word that comes to mind when you hear these four series of words. So I'm going to start off with uh, music. Music, probably country music. I'm definitely a country music listener. I listen to a lot of country, you know, when we're driving from race to race and um, probably my favorite type of music. Okay, that's fair. Um, pet peeve? Um, probably people in racing that don't have to work on their car for themselves. And don't appreciate the equipment because they're not the ones that has to work on it. That's a very, very fair point. And I feel like we should expand upon that after I get through free association because I think you have some opinions on that, which I want to hear fairly shortly. Um, let's think of another one here. Uh, redemption. Uh, right now, I'd say the first thing that comes to mind with that would be going back to New Smyrna next year and hopefully trying to, you know, have just as good of results, but leave there with the speed weeks championship. Cause I feel like we brought a car good enough to achieve that goal this year and, you know, wasn't able to leave with it. So I'm thinking that next year I'm going to try to go back and, you know, run just as good and not have the, you know, disqualification and try to leave their speed weeks champion. I love it. 2025 is just, you're just waiting for it to be here already. So <laughs> I can't wait to see what kind of statement you're going to make during World Series of Asphalt in 2025. My last one for you is kind of going to give you uh, a kind of a curveball here, but uh, spirit animal. Uh, I don't really know, to be honest. <laughs> That's a hard one, <laughs> to be honest with you. But I get, um, get back to me on that one. Yeah, I'll get back to you on that one. That's fair. I just felt like throwing you a curveball. It's fun to do that. But um, yeah, we'll you'll be back in the hot seat again. So we'll follow up on that here real shortly. But a couple more questions before you, before you wrap up your first debut appearance here on the hot seat. Now, I hate to ask this type of job interview question, but I have to, Jimmy, because that's what I do as a journalist. But while most aspire to race a NASCAR happy path wise where do you see yourself in the next five to ten years well you know i just uh you know i'm hoping that i can keep racing for uh as long as i can but at the end of the day we're just a family operation at this point and you know we don't have any big time sponsors or big time car owners it's just my parents and you know they do a lot for me and 
Um, you know, it's, it's them that I'm driving for and, you know, they're, they're paying the bills and I know it's a lot on them and I appreciate everything that they do to be able to put me in this position. But, you know, I'm hoping that at some point I can find some sponsorship and be able to, you know, race more or race bigger races, uh, kind of all, all around the country really. Um, and just kind of be, you know, like that Bubba Pollard kind of guy that can travel around and race or, you know, maybe make it to the ARCA scene or, you know, the truck series and try to see, you know, if I can have some success and something like that. But I mean, you know how it is nowadays. It's, it's a you know, sponsor driven and um, it's just, you know, it's tough to get to that point and get, you know, big sponsorship money like that to get with a successful team. And, um, you know, if, if we could find something like that, you know, I definitely wouldn't pass up the opportunity. Um, but we'll see what happens within the next couple of years. Plenty of time ahead, <clears throat> excuse me, and I certainly hope that you get your chance to showcase what you can do should you elevate yourself to the, one of the top three series of NASCAR, even ARCA, because I think you could do some amazing things in stock car racing down the road. And my last question for you might make you feel a little sentimental here, Jimmy, but what advice would you give to yourself, the little boy that was helping your dad at the shop, or maybe even going to Hudson, or even getting to see a race at New Hampshire Motor Speedway? What advice would you give yourself about your journey in racing and in life that you wish you could have known back then? Yeah, I mean, for sure, kind of, you know, just kind of like what I did, you just kind of got to involve if you want to make it in racing or even, you know, even at the pro late model scene or, you know, even at your local short track, you just kind of you got to try to involve yourself in racing as much as you can, whether it's, um, you know, going to the track to watch races or you know, even starting out by helping on someone else's race team to go to the track and just kind of learn about cars. And, um, you know, my whole life, I've kind of, I've had to work on my cars at the same time as everybody else. And, you know, I haven't just sat back and, you know, just got to show up with my racing bag and drive them. So, uh, I think that's part of, you know, what made me who I am today. And, um, I think for, you know, advice to younger racers or, you know, to me, you know, back then I would say definitely the more you work on your car uh, and the more you involve yourself in the, you know, the stuff at the shop or even at the racetrack, I think the better you'll be. Um, you know, I think some of the best race car drivers out there, are the ones that you see, um, you know, in the shop at the same time and not just showing up and driving. That's quite true and great advice for sure. And that reminded me to ask you, you said earlier, one of your pet peeves are the drivers who don't work on their cars. And I think you kind of answered my question, but perhaps it kind of just drive the point home, if you will. Is it the fact that not only do you have a greater appreciation about racing and preserving your equipment, but to know all that you can about these cars, doesn't that become an asset for you when you're trying to, you know, track down what changes to make or, you know, the nuances of the car so that you can get to be more to your, to your liking? Yeah, I mean, I'm 100%, uh, you know, a true believer on the more you know about your car and, you know, the more successful that you're going to be. If you work on your car all week long and, um, you know, you help do the setups on it or you set them up, the, you know, the better that you're going to be because when you're driving it and you have that feeling of what it's doing, you know, by working on it, you know, what kind of change you're thinking that you're going to make. So, you know, I think you can be a way better asset to your team and, you know, work a lot closer with your crew chief on what changes to make if you, you know, have a hand in working on the car and, you know, doing that stuff throughout the week. And I think a lot of drivers, you know, that have to work on their own cars and fix their own damage and, 
stuff like that have a lot more appreciation for their equipment when they're out on the track because they're the ones that have to go home and work in the shop to fix it if they tear it up. So um, just kind of, I think that's how it should be for everybody. I don't think there should be guys out there that, um, you know, should just be able to show up and drive. I don't think that even if I was one of those guys that, you know, got a big time sponsor and got a full time ride, I'd still be at the shop trying to, you know, learn and work on my car and do what I can for my team. And, you know, I wouldn't just be that guy that just shows up with his helmet bag and, you know, wants to race. I love it. It's the, it's the old school mentality. As we say in new England, it's the dirt dog mentality. And that's why when you watch Boston sports, we love the people who slide in the home base and get all dirty with their uniform or they grind out those extra yards. If they're in Gillette stadium, or if you're a race car driver like yourself, Jimmy, you respect the equipment and the people that work on your cars because you want to be one of those men and women that work on your equipment. And I think it's what it comes down to is respect. And that's what you have a lot of for yourself and for the people around you. And I can see that in your eyes when I'm talking to you about racing and I love it. Now, I hope we get to have you back on the hot seat here again later this year. But for now, do you have any shout outs you want to say to the fans or anything you want to share to people out there that have helped you along the way? This is your chance to say so. Yeah, I just, uh, you know, I want to thank everybody for sure that's helped get me to this point. There's, like I said, there's been a lot of people from, you know, all the way from when I started racing go-karts or the kids class and all the way to, you know, racing full-time pro late models and all these different series and big races and, um, you know, all those people, I wouldn't be here, you know, where I am today without them. And there's been a lot of people along the way that have helped me out and um, there's just, you got to appreciate those people because, you know, you wouldn't be where you are today with, if it wasn't for them. So, um, my parents, especially they've, you know, put all their, you know, heart and soul and everything that I've done and supported me along the way. And, uh, obviously spent a lot of their, you know, hard earned money from their businesses on me to come down here and be able to do this and just, uh, super appreciative of everybody that is involved in this whole deal. And, hoping to, uh, you know, go out there and win some races. And we're looking forward to it. And you know, the people that are in your support system are always going to be in your corner, Jimmy. So let's catch up during the cars tour season and see how you're doing. Cause I'm sure you're going to be talking to me about a, a bunch of wins you're going to have this year. So I'm looking forward to hearing about those later this year, my friend. I hope so. Thank you. You got it. Jimmy Renfro Jr. here in the hot seat and he'll be back here later this year, folks. Keep an eye on him in the Car Tour Series. And that was Jimmy Renfro Jr. in the hot seat this week. My thanks, of course, goes to Jimmy for literally making time for us last, last night. Because we were doing this on Thursday night. He literally talked to me on Wednesday evening. So it's fresh from the presses. It's hot as can be. It literally is the hot seat. And I also have to thank Team Hardy the Development and Taylor Kitchen, our old friend and pal, and MGK fan making that happen i am just kidding taylor you know that i know that you're not an mjk fan i know that he was he's been with uh megan fox it's weeks later we're still laughing <laughs> <laughs> we still are i wish nathan was there for that that was so so epic oh my God. i i i don't know why megan fox and mgk you just say we laugh like hyenas on this show but <laughs> Oh, man. Maybe we'll we'll do it again for the Women in Motorsports show that we'll try to do next month for March. But good times and thanks again, Taylor, for making that happen. We always love having the THD drivers and hopefully again, we get to do it again this year. And actually next week, I'm really excited about the hot seat interview because I can actually say who it is 
before we get to wrap up our show. Our old friend Nicholas Weatherby, who was a staff photographer for a couple of years, guess what, folks? He's moved on to be um, with Front Row Motorsports, and he's going to stop by and literally be a guest in the hot seat live on the podcast. Uh-huh. So we're going to do a little twist on that and get his story about how he ended up in Front Row Motorsports and how he conceptualizes designs for these wraps that you see with Front Row Motorsports, uh, Front Row Motorsports' cars. I really loved the Todd Gilliland generator paint scheme or wrap, if you will, that looked really sick, as my nephew would say. Um, so we'll get Nicholas's side of the story. And then as we get into the month of March, hopefully with some really neat interviews from the racetrack. So we're getting there, folks. We're thawing out. You know, Poxitani Phil saw it, didn't see a shadow. So spring is just around the corner. And that means more fun on TPF Live. My closing thought for this week, really before we hear from Nathan in Brooklyn is really the fact that I love the momentum that we're seeing from NASCAR. I mean, I wouldn't say that NASCAR full speed on Netflix has been responsible for any of it, but if it has good, good on that series for doing its thing uh, because we saw some pretty decent ratings for the Daytona 500 um, and just a lot of buzz online. I mean, even folks like the rock were at the Daytona 500. He was pumped. He stuck around until Monday to do the, you know, the Grand Marshal uh, start your engines command, which I thought was, well, not for lack of a better word, was really electrifying. I just love seeing the interest in the sport again. And it feels so fun to be covering the sport of NASCAR once more. And that's the way I want to see it every weekend. Just keep bringing it, bringing it, bringing it new energy, new vibes, whatever it takes. As long as the competition on the track's good, let's go ahead and try to engage fans in new different ways to make racing very appealing. Um, we'll see that, of course, throughout the season, at least for the first half. I know for Bristol, they're really crazy about doing a little throwback style with their first concrete race since 2019 for the spring race, believe it or not, folks. That's crazy as can be. But uh, we'll hear from Nathan and then Brooklyn. What are your closing thoughts for this week as we get to ready for Atlanta? Yeah, I'm just glad NASCAR is back. You know, we've got a long, many, many weeks of this going forward. We've got, what, 36, 35, I can't really count. Math's not my subject uh, of, <laughs> of NASCAR, which is good. I mean, we have this until, uh, you know, second week of November. So it's just great that it's back. You know, it's a sign that warmer days are coming. Uh, it's been cold and rainy up here in New York. So uh, looking forward to you know, myself getting back to the track here, I'd say sooner rather than later. Um, I'll have a race in the spring, so looking forward to that. But um, it it really felt like this year in particular, the off season was just incredibly short. Like I, it always feels short. Like when the off season starts, it's always like, oh man, like you know, three months. Well, what are we gonna do? But it it really always seems to fly by by week two or week three. This year in particular, it 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 really went by fast, but. Um, I'm just, I'm, I can get back into my usual routine, you know, Sunday afternoon, sit down at three o'clock, you know, I think everybody knows what, what they're doing at that time. So, uh, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a fun year in all three series. You know, obviously cup series has plenty of storylines, probably the, the most competitive field cup series has ever had the Xfinity series. It, it, I'd, I'd say at least since the days of all the guys doing double duty every single week, I'd say that's the best Xfinity field we've had. There's probably 18, 20 cars that can go out and win a race now in Xfinity, which is absolutely wild to think about. And I'd also argue that the Truck Series has a very high level of competitiveness. They just uh, need to stop making poor decisions in that series. But it'll be fun. 
And fun is the name of the game, I would say. What about you, Brooklyn? I just to summarize what I mean, y'all have said so far, and my final thoughts also, and the wise words of Alex Bowman, woo NASCAR. We're back. <laughs> we we have a week under our belt. I mean, I think everybody's, um, I mean, we're just getting back in the routine. We're ready to be back in the routine. I know I am. Um, not that this week was our usual um, on my side or anybody's side, the usual like NASCAR season routine of like Nathan was saying, like, you know, you sit down, and watch the race and then um, like all the following things. But um, I mean, everybody's, the level of competition this season is amazing. I completely agree with that. Um, so I think it's going to be a great season. It's going to be a great 76 season for NASCAR. And we at the podium finish are going to give you folks the best front, uh, front row seat to see it all with our stories, our photos. And especially when we riders are at the racetrack, we're going to make it be like you having a VIP pass of the action all season long. So I'm stoked. It's season number 17 for myself and TPF as an entity. So we're going to bring it to you folks from here to November and even in the off season. That's just how we roll on TPF live. And yes, folks, believe it or not, we have one more February episode and then we get to the month of March because thank you, leap year. You have to screw things up. So <laughs> we'll talk about that next week. But I think it's now time to go ahead and put a bow on our show. So for Brooklyn Jackson and Nathan Solomon, welcome back, by the way. And of course, Jimmy Renfro Jr. I'm your host, Rob T. Youngson, saying thanks so much for tuning in to episode 105 of TPF Live, the world's fastest hour of racing talk. Check out our previous 104 episodes on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Next week will be episode 106, featuring, featuring Nicholas Weatherby. And maybe a surprise. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> and of course, it'll be our post-Atlanta free Las Vegas edition of our show. But until then, folks, as I always like to say, let's all go get that checkered flag. And until next time, so long, everyone. <laughs>